0: Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You're invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon.
1: Today's scripture is from Luke chapter 22. Verses 39 through 46. Then, accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, Pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. At last he stood up again and returned to the disciples, only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping? he asked them. Get up and pray, so that you will not give in to temptation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: If something urgent is taking place and you run across sloth, whether it's the animal or in in lazy unwillingness to work, things tend to go poorly. And that's true for Jesus' followers, too. In last week's scripture, we learned about how Jesus had his disciples join him earlier in this same evening for a Passover meal. And this was a rich and full meal, complete with several courses and multiple glasses of wine. So think about, from our perspective, a Thanksgiving feast with another adult friend and 11 boys between somewhere of like 16 to 20 years old. And every one of you may have had something like a full bottle of wine that you've taken down. That's kind of the state of these young apprentices of Jesus right now. Instead of retreating to the living room to fall asleep watching football, Jesus takes them out to the cool of the evening to a place he loved to go for peace and for prayer, the olive tree grove in the Kidron Valley known as the Garden of Gethsemane. As an aside, despite Rome's very best efforts to burn the whole region to the ground in 70 AD, there are trees in that garden area today that date back to nearly the time of Jesus. I've been to that location where we commemorate Jesus' prayerful agony a number of times. It's a powerful place, and I have this image of a 33-year-old Jesus bowing on his knees in prayer, maybe even curled to the ground in prayer. And after three years of public ministry where he healed, raised the dead, restored lives, and flipped the world right side up, He did so much in just three years, and when I think of what God did in the life of Jesus and in the lives of these giants of faith that have passed down this gift of discipleship to us, I feel a bit of my own sloth. And so in that same place where Jesus asked the Father's will to be done, I would once again pray that God's will would be done in my life. Because no matter what has changed over the course of 2,000 years, that olive grove in the Kidron Valley is still a powerful place to seek peace and to pray. Our first lesson this morning is this. Prayer does not equip us for greater works. Prayer is the greater work. Prayer does not equip us for greater works. Prayer is the greater work. Verse 39, then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. There are folks that we can be away from for a while, and when we get back together with them, it's like no time has passed. You just get to pick up where you left off with some great rapport and a relationship that you've always been able to reap. Just join back in together, even though a lot of water has passed under the bridge since you last visited. I've got friends from grade school, so does my wife Amy, who whenever we get together, those years of friendship just click, and we can reconnect with some ease. Our spouses can connect as friends. Our kids can all hang out or play sweetly together. These are wonderful times, and it's good to know that in the inconvenience of this time, the distance doesn't harm the affection we hold for one another. I think we probably are going to experience a fair amount of that type of reconnection once we get enough people immunized from COVID-19. Many of us have friends exactly like this, and for a significant number of folks, we haven't had a chance to catch up with them for quite some time. But these are also not the kind of friends that we count on or that they count on us. I don't expect these catch-up friends to be in the day-to-day pattern of my life, certainly not woven into my life the way that my wife Amy is. Even in that relationship, when we have time or distance working against us, they really work against us. There is a flow and a pattern that's a lot like a dance in that relationship, and when we step away from the dance floor for a while for things like travel when we used to travel or during busy seasons, the risk is high for stepping on toes when we try to get back into that groove because there is so much for which we count upon one another. And if we don't have good and regular communication, nothing goes quite as smoothly. That's also true in our relationship with God. So, prayer does not equip us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. This reminder comes every October 17th for a lot of Christians around the world who read Oswald Chambers' My Utmost for His Highest since 1935 in the teachings of Jesus. Chambers declares that prayer is the working of the miracle of redemption in me, which produces the miracle of redemption in others through the power of God. Chambers says there's nothing thrilling about a laboring person's work, but it is the laboring person who makes the ideas of the genius possible. And it's the laboring saint who makes the ideas of his master possible. Jesus had a plan for his disciples. He planned that through conscious prayer, temptation would not come to them because they were keeping close communion with their heavenly Father during this time of trial. They were all day to day together. They were absolutely counting on one another. Jesus, the disciples, and all of them leaning on their Heavenly Father. So Jesus called upon them to keep watch and to pray. Now, I think Jesus knew exactly what was going to go down. I think he knew that their time in prayer wasn't about to change his fate, but it may have had a major difference in their response when chaos came. Maybe nothing would have been different except for the strength of their relationship with the God who could hold them close during what was just about to happen. And that's not nothing. That can be an incredible comfort when we know the nearness of God through unimaginable times. Prayer helps to provide that. But they couldn't do it. They weren't giving themselves to Jesus when he needed them the most. Their sloth took them out of play, and it was doing harm. That takes us to our second lesson. Surrender to God doesn't mean giving up. It means giving all. Surrender to God doesn't mean giving up. It means giving all. Verse 41, Jesus walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine, and an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him he prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood anyone who ever got picked on as a kid or anyone who ever picked on other kids i guess knows what the term say uncle or say mercy means it means that a person under duress is giving up a fight they're done There are plenty of times when life seems to have us in some sort of headlock and it's giving us a knuckle rub on our scalp and yelling at us to say mercy. We often think of surrender as waving a white flag and laying down our arms, giving up, but that's not what's happening here. This isn't stopping our fight out of laziness. This is taking on the life that God sets before us with every ounce of joy and suffering that goes with it. Jesus is facing here imminent crucifixion at the hands of the Roman and religious authorities. He will be beaten, whipped, and have a thorny crown placed upon his head. He'll have nails driven through his wrists and ankles and feel his breath become more and more labored until he exhales one last time. Death on the cross was both pain and humiliation. And even for the fully divine, woven perfectly with that fully human Jesus, it was going to be horrific. And so he was praying. The terror of what was before him gave him sweats. Here it says, like drops of blood. But in other gospels, it points to Jesus actually sweating blood under the weight of the cross that he is about to face. He was saying, mercy. If there is any other way, any other way, please don't make me go through with this, Father. But for us to know forgiveness and renewal, for us to be set free from the outcomes of our selfishness and to enter into new life that is true and abundant and eternal, there simply has been and never will be another way. So as Jesus surrendered any resistance to the cross, it was mercy that caused him to surrender. Mercy for you, and mercy for me. There was no other way. If we are going to be spared from death, the Son of God would have to become the sacrifice that would save us, and it would take every bit of courage, strength, and endurance that Jesus had in him, and more. Jesus was not giving in. This was Jesus giving his all. That's what surrender is for us, too. It's not the end of our efforts. It's handing ourselves over to be used in whatever way that God desires, regardless of personal cost or fears. We kneel. We see what may lie ahead. And regardless, we proclaim, Thy will, O God, and not mine be done. A third lesson. When Jesus says it's time to wake up, it's time to wake up. When Jesus says it's time to wake up, it's time to wake up. At last he stood up again and returned to the disciples only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. There have been a A couple of times when my son Theo has had to go under anesthesia since he's been home with us. It was fun to listen to him chatter when he was coming out of general anesthesia and coming down from the anesthesia-based loopies. It was a bit like watching those videos of people who record their loved ones when they've just had wisdom tooth surgery and they're saying all sorts of insane nonsense. That is one of my favorite genres of film. I'm not too terribly different when I wake up each morning. I find that I now have to like put my hand up against a wall or the head of the, the bed because so much fluid has shifted in my ears overnight. Maybe you rise in the morning like you just stepped out of a salon, but many of us woke up with that awesome bedhead hairstyle and the monkey house at the zoo breath and a droop face. It's probably not our best times in many respects. And if it's B.C., Before coffee, for some of us, it's even worse. There are times when the church gets this way. Maybe the church is resting, sleeping, unready, and not quite all there when Jesus needs us. Maybe we rest on what we've done in the past or on what someone else has done, but we're not awake to what Christ wants to do through us today. We rest on our fears or our busyness and our excuses. The disciples had good reason to be napping. They were just overfilled with stuff that would lull them into a false sense of comfort. They had no idea that Jesus was being serious about this whole death thing that he had warned them about. But they were about to find out how serious he was. And in their sloth, he called them to be ready and prayerful instead of being prepared They were all about to fumble and scatter. Sloth napped as Jesus was handed over to his executioners. And sloth still kills Christ in us today, too. Which takes us to lesson four. Readiness is the death of sloth. Readiness is the death of sloth. We need to not just be awake, but ready. I can be awake, but still unaware and unhelpful. And Jesus calls us to be more than an eye-opened stupor. The Holy Spirit makes us ready. How? The Holy Spirit calls us to be ready to do what we've been created to do whenever we're given the opportunity to do it. And there are a few things that Scripture tells us we get to be ready for. And the first comes from 1 Peter 3. Peter is telling the church, instead you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, and if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. We can start by being someone who is hopeful enough that folks will ask us about us. Many of us wear our cynicism or hopelessness on our sleeves. We never need to ask someone, oh, hey, how did you become such a skeptic? I'd like to know how the world can wound me so I can master anger veiled in sarcasm also. Everybody knows how to be disappointed by life, but Christ invites us to a different way of being. Jesus calls us to a contagious hope, a peace in our hearts that's beyond understanding. That is rare, and people who fret themselves through every day may just take notice of that peace, of that hope, and when they do, we've been given an opportunity, an open door, to tell someone about how Jesus fills us with hope and gives us peace. We also have a message to share. 2 Timothy chapter 4 tells us that we are to preach the word of God, to be prepared whether the time is favorable or not patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. As Christ followers, part of our prayerful preparation is simply knowing our Scripture. This safeguarded Jesus against temptations of all kinds when he was in the wilderness. It safeguarded folks throughout the history of Christianity. God's Word is incredibly powerful. It keeps us centered on who God created us to be. It helps others know their matchless and eternal worth The Word of God is powerful, living, and active, sharper than a sword, but it does little good sitting on a shelf and gathering dust. That also prepares us for God's promises to us. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells all who would listen, understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into, you also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Jesus tells us we need to be ready for his return. And we don't know at what time, what date that will come. He just says, always be ready. The first disciples didn't believe Jesus when he promised that he was coming, or what was coming and they found themselves asleep and unprepared. Will we repeat their errors? Do we believe Jesus when he promises that he is coming? Will he find us sleeping, or will he find us awake, alert, and prepared? Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord, thank you for the gift of life that you've given us in Christ. And help us to not sleepwalk through it. You have created us with wonderful purpose, with a a glorious reason to live, not just to draw in breath and take up space every day, but to share the hope, the message, the good news that you have come into this world to bring us into a full life, true life, abundant life, eternal life. So God, Let us not sleep and rest when you have drawn us into so much greater. Help us to experience All that you have in store for us, the highs of the mountaintops, the depths of the valley, and everything in between. And because we are in constant relationship with you, because you have invited us to be in this relationship through prayer, we can know that you are with us at all times. We can know your plans for us. We can be equipped to follow in faithfulness. God, we thank you that you have called us to not just rest through this life but to live, because Christ lives in us. We thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' holy name, amen.